0: This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus. For light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. Actually, I made, I made that video back in 2015. And I was looking in my laptop and I saw it and I was like, man, that kind of helps us to not forget the reason why Jesus was born. And I know like with all of these, uh, all the festivities and everything that is happening during Christmas, I don't ever want us to, to forget that Christ came to reconcile the world for every single person. He came for everyone. It wasn't just the elite. It wasn't just for the the elect or the the intellectually elect. It it was for every single person in this world, God came and he came down as a human being. It shows the humanity of Jesus and um, gave his life so that way you and I could too have life as well. So I don't ever want us to to lose that focus that Jesus came for everyone. And we're going to look at a parable uh, today where Jesus once again talks about his kingdom. He's going to talk about the kingdom of heaven and what it looks like. um, But also that there are some people that were invited and they kind of like turned their back on it. So Jesus goes in. on on the folks he's talking to. It's an incredible parable. It's actually our last one for this series. And then um, in January, we start another sermon series in 1 John, which is going to be pretty cool. Um, So we're going to look at Matthew 22, verses 2 through 14. But before I dive in, um, I need to talk to my married people real fast. All right? So my married people. I might bring up some, some like, um, you know, some bad memories. But... (laughs) How many of you guys enjoyed planning your wedding? Dang, heard some sounds. Right? Steven's <laughs> so like, I loved it. I'll do it again. Um, so <laughs> Rachel's like, I loved it. So when Rachel and I started planning our wedding, she had a massive binder. Like this was like her thing. Um, as a guy, all my job was was to show up. <laughs> show up, That right? Show up don't jack it up, wear the tuxedo, say I do, and let's go. Um, I was like, I could do that. I could handle it. Um, so, you know, my role was just the honeymoon, which was like, I don't care where. As long as you're with me, we're good. And, but, but she put together this wedding, and as we're planning the wedding, one of the hardest parts of planning a wedding is the guest list. Um, so I know for some of y'all are like, that wasn't hard, Rick. I was like, yeah, but y'all don't know many people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when Rachel and I were planning our wedding, the church held, um, it could hold hundreds of people. That was not the issue. The problem was afterward, the food, the venue, like what were we going to have? The reception. Now the reception that we were at in East Texas only held about maybe like 200 people. The wedding venue could hold so much more. So as we're planning for our wedding, we're about to send the invites, we started getting into like, man, we got to make some really difficult decisions on who we invite to our wedding and who we do not allow to come. Now, I said that because it's true. We didn't want certain people there um, because we want to have a good time. So that was one of like the hardest things. So it's like friends versus family. Now, I know for like 200 people, doesn't really sound like, oh, Rick, that's a lot. I was like, yeah, but our East Texas family, right? And in my family, there's like already 75%. So so we had to figure out who to come, like who could come, who could not come. Friends versus like the the crazies versus the fun people. And then you start getting into those arguments of like who's going to bring a gift and who's going to mooch, you know, like. (laughs) Like, if I invite them, they're just going to, like, take stuff. Uh, If I invite them, they actually might, like, bring, like, a thank you present or to help us out. Um, And then you get into the whole, like, should we, like, let kids come? If we do, like, this family, their kids are bad, you know? (laughs) So we can't, like, personally exclude them. So might as well just call off all the kids Um, man, it was all this back and forth and like this lady, nope, that's straight up drama. Yeah, but she's been our friend. I don't care. She's straight up drama. Like, and then you got to sit them all together. So then you start planning, okay, who's going to sit with one another? So that way there's no fights. Like, let's put this lady on the other side of the room because they hate each other. And then let's, like, they used to be friends. But so it became extremely complicated when we talk about who we're going to invite to this really important event in our lives. And the truth is, is like when there's something vital and there's something important, there's something life-altering, you want to make sure that the right people are in the room. You don't just invite anybody. But thank God that God doesn't think like us. Can you imagine if, if God or Jesus had the same perspective when it came to his kingdom? Like, ah, oh, they could come, but nah, they, they, yeah, he sold me out too many times. Don't let him in. And you see, we got to think about this. Like when it comes to these big life-altering perspectives in our lives, I mean, Jesus, he says, you know what? It doesn't matter. Everyone is open to my kingdom. Everyone is invited. Everyone is allowed to come. The problem is, is when people reject the king's invitation. And he's going to go ahead and, and point that out to us. So let's go ahead and look at the, the passage. We're going to read just the first seven verses and, and kind of walk through this thing. Look at verse, uh, verses one, two, yeah, one through seven. This is what it says in Matthew 22. It says, "Jesus spoke to them again in parable, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is like a king um, who prepared a wedding banquet for his son." He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, and they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field and another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And the king was enraged. He sent his army to destroy those murderers and burned their city. All right, so this is the first part of the parable. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to these massive crowds. His disciples are hanging out there as well. And he's talking about his kingdom. And he goes in on them. So we got to look at verse 1. And two, who's Jesus talking to? Let's go ahead and and walk this thing out. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. The wedding banquet represents the kingdom of God. The king is God the Father, and then the son is God the Son, who's Jesus himself. So, what he's saying is that the kingdom is like the king who prepared. So, heaven is set, heaven is prepared. They're preparing a way for everyone to come to spend eternity with Him. And then look at verse 3. He sent His servants. Who are His servants? He's talking about the prophets of old. Think about the Old Testament prophets. Think about all those who proclaimed that there was this this Messiah that was going to be coming. Isaiah 53. We... He talks about like by his wounds, we're healed. He's talking about the the Messiah who's going to come and that God is going to restore his people through this Messiah. I think the best example of this is John the Baptist. How John the Baptist was out there proclaiming the way that, that there's somebody better than him that's coming and that he is not worthy to even tie the strings on his sandals. So these folks, these servants of God, these minor and major prophets have been inviting. They've been ushering in the kingdom like there's somebody that's coming and he's going to redeem everyone. But look what happens. He says these servants to those who have been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But what happens? They what? They refuse to come. So he has all these services, he's going to the Jewish people, he's going to all of like everybody in Palestine in those times. They're announcing the Messiah, but people are rejecting what the prophets are telling them. If you read Jeremiah, you see that immediately. So they refuse to come. And what I want to point out, that whole refuse to come, this isn't like, oh, my bad, I didn't get the invitation. Like, you didn't send, you sent to the wrong address. I didn't know. Oh, no, they knew. They refused. They, they, they knew exactly what they were being invited to because they knew the Old Testament prophets. They knew the Torah. They knew all these things. But they chose, they refused to go. So, because we serve such a kind and generous and willing to try it again, second chance God, look what happens in verse 4. He sends the servants out once more, and he tries to kind of dish it out a little bit better, entice. He's like, no, no, like, then he sends some more servants out to those who have been invited that tell them that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, And everyone is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Okay, so the first time, you refuse my invitation. Let's try this again. He sent some more of his servants out. That means more of the prophets of old. Let's go ahead and, and let's describe it a little bit more. And then he says, my dinner. So I don't know about you guys, but if I get invited to a dinner at a palace versus a dinner at a local elementary school, it's going to be different. It's not going to be Little Caesars and Lisa's Chicken, which ain't nothing wrong with that, by the way. <laughs> right? But it might be some flaming y'all. I mean, this is going to be some high-level stuff because it's the king. And there's some places that, let's just be honest, there's some places that you get invited to, you know you're going to get hooked up. Like I'm going to call it out. If Monica invites me over to her house, (laughs) it don't matter if it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I'm going to get well fed. She hooks it up. Joanne invited us to her house. It was like a restaurant. I know if I go, it don't matter what it is. You just know you're going to get taken care of. The king is inviting everyone to his banquet for his dinner. You know it's going to be good. How do we know it's going to be good? My oxen and my fattened cattle have been butchered. Listen, he's pulling out all the stops. Straight up Texas Day Brazil in here. (laughs) He is going in. He's killing the oxen and the fattened cattle. Guys, this is not a normal day in life. This is a massive event. They've been butchered and everything is ready. Just come to the wedding banquet. This is an invitation. But not just that. What I I want us to understand, though, kings don't invite people two times. When you're at that position, if you don't come, that's considered an insult in those times, in those days. So for Jesus to be giving this parable saying, no, like the king is, is like doing this twice, it's kind of odd. Like, people should be taken back a little bit, but this also illustrates the patience and the forbearance of the God that we serve. God is patient with us. And he's like, no, like, please come. But look what happens. But they paid no attention and went off. This is verse 5. Where did they go to? One to his field, another to his business. And then the rest of the servants, mistreated them, and killed them. You know, I look at verse 5, and I'm like, why did Jesus get so specific? Or like other people might say, so pacific. <laughs> that he said, one, they went to his field and then to his business. Like, so they rejected the king's offer. And they're like, I'm just going to go back home. I'm going to go back to work, and I'm going to go back to my field. But I started digging, and I was like, man... What you got to understand is what these represent. What they're saying is, no, like, I'm going back to my provisions and I'm going back to my possessions. You see, the field is the provision piece. That's like where people would make a living. That's where the family built their legacy. The family would build their business. We also see this when Jesus is talking to this young man that says, what must I do to follow you? And he goes... Or the young man tells him, like, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my dad first. And then what does Jesus tell him? Let the dead bury their dead. Come follow me. And he couldn't do it. Here's what's interesting about that story is that in that story, the thing was his dad wasn't even close to passing away. So what he's saying is, like, I got time. So let me, just bury, let me just bury my father, and then let, let me take care of our family. Let me grow these things. Let me make sure everything's taken care of. And then once my dad passed away, and I'm and I inherit everything that I get, then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus is like, no, that's not how it works. Let the dead bury their dead. So we run back to our provisions. We run back to the things that we think we need in order to live our lives successfully. A lot of us might say it like this, like, before I follow you, Jesus, let me go get my ducks in a row first. Let me go get married first. Let me go do my college thing first. Let me make sure I get a job first. And then once I'm set, I will give my life to whatever it is that you want, God. And Jesus is like, sounds great, but no, because that is not how obedience works. So one goes to his field, but then the other goes to his business. Why does he go to his business? Because that's what gives you your possessions. That's how you make money. How do we see this? Jesus has another conversation with this guy called the rich young ruler. And he asks Jesus, what must I do to follow you or what must I do to, to, like, be your disciple and inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, go take all the stuff, sell it, and give it to the poor. And then the passage says he went away sad and he walked off. He couldn't do it. What was he saying? He's like, listen, if you're going to follow me, I've got to be the number one priority in your life. But you see, with the rich young ruler, he loved his stuff so much that there was no way that he could give up all that he had to follow Christ. And Jesus is like, that's not going to work. You see, so people are not paying attention. So people are saying, like, he's like, come to the banquet. And they're like, no, no. I'm going to go do whatever I need to do to take care of me and mine and my family. And I want to make sure that I live this, in this world well. So I'm going to focus on my possessions. And I'm going to focus on my business stuff. And everything else could come later. And I love how we talk to God like he doesn't know exactly what he's doing. Because if we're honest with ourselves, Jesus also talks about this in Matthew 6.33. Where it's like, if you seek me first, I'm going to take care of everything else. There's a lot of, especially believers in business, that it makes no sense how successful they are. But they seek the Lord first, and everything else happens. That's how it works, you guys. If you put God first in everything, he's going to live through you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to give you the wisdom you need in order to be able to take care of not just your friends and your family, but everyone else around you. And what they're doing is saying, no, I need to t- do me first. I can't put you first. So the, the rest sees the servants, his servants, and they mistreated them and they killed them. He's talking about the prophets. The prophets that came were killed like John the Baptist, he came to proclaim Christ. And what they do, he got his head chopped off because some stripper wanted him dead. Like guys, like following Christ doesn't always end well. So these folks who came beforehand, all of these people were killing them. They were, they were kind of throwing them in prison. They, they were, all these things were happening. And then look at verse 7. See, now God is running out of patience now. So, what happens? The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. AKA, God is furious. Patience is exhausted. So, when the king becomes enraged, judgment falls. So, what is Jesus referring to here? He's talking about the destruction of the temple in AD 70. This is what we see. I know we've talked about this in the past as well, but Jesus is giving a prophecy of what's coming because the Jews had all this stuff. They had their temples that that they wanted to take care of and guard. A.D. 70 happens. The temple is destroyed. And even so, like, why do you think it's the temple? Because look what it says. He burned their city. That temple was burned. All the way down to the, to the stone. We see that also in historical documents um, of Josephus. So that was what Jesus is talking about. This massive stone temple that was destroyed and reduced to rubble. All right, so let's go look at verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding party is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. They kind of just decided to go do their own thing. They killed my servants. I got a little upset with them and burned their temple down. So now what do we do? Verse 9. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet who? Anyone you find. I love that. So what did the servants do in verse 10? So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. That is so good. I love this because what Jesus is saying is saying like the kingdom of heaven is not just for those religious folks that that have been kind of neglecting me, that they know the scriptures, but they don't love me. They don't they're not obedient to me. He's like, go out and we're going to open this thing up. Anybody who wants to come and we see this also in our our Bible study in the book of Romans, Romans 1:16. He talks about the gospel and he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for all those who believe first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, a.k.a. everybody. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody. It doesn't matter. He even goes as far to say, not just the good people, invite the bad ones as well. Not not just the parents with the kids, but the parents with the bad kids, too. Bring them all. Bring them all to the wedding banquet. Everyone is invited. Everyone is able to come. Why? Because the gospel is free and everyone and God does not discriminate when it comes to salvation. We're all invited to take part in his banquet. We're all invited. So God is saying everybody come. I love there's a passage and I'll just go ahead and read it for time's sake. Revelation 22 verse 17 It says the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of water of life come. So God has kicked this thing open. Everyone's invited to take part in this. Everyone gets the free gift of salvation. I have died for all sins and for every single person. Here's the problem. The Pharisees didn't see it that way. Because the the, the Pharisees and the elite, the religious elite, they were like, we're God's chosen people. Everybody else is on an island by themselves. We get the blessings of God. They don't deserve it. There was a separation that took place. And what Jesus is saying is like, I'm here now. I'm here to reconcile everybody to God. There's no separation because I am the one who's bridging that gap. So everyone is welcome to the presence of God. Because grace does not discriminate. So the servants went out, verse 10, into the streets, gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Look at verse 11. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Interesting. Verse 12. He asked, How'd you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. A.k.a. had no excuses. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. All right, so we got, we're, got, we're about to get in some theologically deep waters here because um, we got to explain this. We got to walk through this thing. Because a lot of us think, when we think about the gospel, it's like, yeah, I'm going to raise my hand, and I'm going to come to the front, and boo-hoo, and then I, I'm, I'm a believer now. And what Jesus is saying is like, this is so much deeper than this here. So let's, let's walk this down, because there's some culturally um, and contextual things that we need to understand. Verse 11, it says, when the king came to see all the guests, he noticed that there, um, that there, who, there were some who were not wearing wedding clothes. All right, so remember, who was invited to the banquet? Everyone, people off the street. That means the poor. That means the disenfranchised. That means, like, the prostitutes. That means, like, the beggars, the sick. I mean, everyone. These folks could not afford the proper garments to go to a wedding thrown by a king. So what this is saying is that if you are invited to the banquet, The king will provide the clothing you need to show up. He's going to take care of you. In order to be in that presence, in order to be in that room, you must dress the part. So the king, in all his graciousness, invited everybody. He gave them garments to wear so that way they could be uh, properly dressed for this wedding and the wedding banquets. So we, so that means, so I just want us to keep this in mind. The wedding garments were supplied by who? The king. The king. All right, so keep that in mind, because this is really important for us to understand. Now, he sees something. He asks, he sees this guy who's in there, and he notices that he's not wearing any of the wedding clothes. So that means that he got in, he was invited, he walked in, And if he's not wearing any of the garments that the king gave him, that means that he said, no, no, thank you. I'm good myself. I'm actually dressed just fine. I don't need your garments to be here. All right. So just keep that in mind. He neglected the king's garments. He neglected what the king gave him to wear in order to be a part of this wedding feast and wedding banquet. And then I I love the man's reaction. He asks him, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? So right there, even though you disrespected the king, he still sees you as a friend. Ephesians says that even though we were still an enemy of God, he still died for us because of his graciousness and his mercy. I love that about our Lord. And then does to say the man was speechless, a.k.a. I got no excuses. Have you ever caught somebody in a lie? Wow, that was a lot. <laughs> you start questioning them, they're like, mm-hmm. they can't say anything. Cause you just keep asking questions. <laughs> JBL. <I'm sick. laughs> Sorry, I sent inside joke. All right, so, and you just keep asking questions, and then all these things happen, and, and they just keep, it just keeps going deeper, and deeper, and deeper, and it just, it doesn't work, and then you get to a point where you're speechless. You've been outed. So when the guy couldn't say anything, the king told his attendants, Tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why did he tie him hand and foot? Because it's a disrespectful way to get rid of somebody. You don't just escort somebody out, like, hey, I'm going to have to ask you to leave, ma'am. No, this is like throw his butt out, like straight up mafia style. (laughs) Tie him up, use their head to open the door, toss them suckers out. I mean, that's kind of the, what, what he's going with here. But then where do they throw him out? Into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus uses that term, he's talking about an eternity separated from him, which is in hell. I know a lot of us don't like talking about hell. But what Jesus is saying here is that this man blatantly rejected the offer of the king. Even though he was invited, he refused to accept the garments, the coverage. That coverage is needed to be in the presence of the king and at the banquet. And because he refused, he got thrown out because that's exactly what he asked for. And then Jesus sends us with this, for many are invited, but few are chosen. That's a hard one right here, guys. So what is he talking about, invited and chosen and all this stuff? So we're going to get into a little bit of a theological kind of rabbit hole. So there's there's something called a general call or an external call. And this is when, when people hear the gospel out loud, they are invited. So you hear it. So what Jesus is saying is like you're going to hear the gospel, but only a few of you guys are going to respond to it. So you hear it, but it didn't really do anything to you. And what Jesus is saying is that those who are chosen are the ones who respond to the gospel that was presented to them. So there's also a couple of things. There's something called the effectual call or the eternal call. And this is kind of when God is drawing people to him God is pursuing their heart I know for some of us like that that was kind of our story like where we kind of knew that God was working in us we didn't know what that was we didn't know what why And, and through situations and circumstances he drew us to him we heard the gospel presented to us and because we said yes to it we are then now called we're the chosen ones he's the one that chose us to hear it but who, that, that's what we call, um, we see that in Romans chapter 8, verses 30. This is like we're responding to God's irresistible call to the gospel, the elected. But who Jesus is talking about here is the whosoever. This is whoever. We see this in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The called who reject the invitation do so willingly, and therefore their um, exclusion from the kingdom is perfectly just. See, these are the folks that hear the gospel. They hear about the the message of Jesus. They've grown up listening to this, but they blatantly say, no thank you. And when you know exactly what you heard and you willingly said, no, thank you, it is perfectly justified for you to spend an eternity away from the king. Because that's exactly what you want. You asked for this. And I know so many people are like, man, Ricky, if God is so loving, why does he send people to hell? And and based on this passage, he doesn't send anyone to hell. He's actually trying to rescue everybody. He's like, everybody is welcome into my kingdom. Everyone's welcome to the gospel. Everyone should have forgiveness. And when people hear it, they say, no, thank you. It's not for me. I'm not about that life. And God's like, okay, you're justified then. You chose to say no to the garments. And why does Jesus bring up this whole thing about garments? It's kind of interesting. Isaiah 61.10 I delight greatly in the Lord, so my soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. And as the bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a, and, and as a bride adorns her set head With jewels. So, what are we clothing? So, if we are elected, if we say yes to the gospel, then God comes and he clothes us in righteousness and salvation and forgiveness. And because we have the king's clothing, we now can go to the great banquet. We now can go and spend eternity with him in heaven. That's the example Jesus is trying to use. Now, the man who was at the banquet without the clothes, what, he's try, what Jesus is trying to say is he shows up and says, no, my garments of what I think salvation looks like are good enough to be here. But then we also see in Isaiah 64, 6, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You see, this man who showed up at the, gar- at the, at the banquet, he thought that his self-righteousness was going, to take, was going to cover him to be there. And what Jesus is like, no, no, like, you need my righteousness. But I can't even see, like, but that's how the Pharisees thought. Like, you know, like I, I, I did the Quran, I did all the sacrifices, I did all these good things, like... I'm good. I clothe myself. Like, I deserve to be here. And Jesus is saying, no, like, because your heart is not right, all of your righteous acts look like filthy rags to me. And he's like, all of that stuff means nothing to me unless you give your heart to me. And when you submit your life to Christ and you ask for forgiveness, say, Lord, I want to live for you. Then he says, here's my righteousness. And now you're ready to spend eternity with us. I know this is kind of a heavy (laughs) parable, but Jesus is extremely clear with this. And I just want to finish with this, and and with this we'll end here. You know, one of of my favorite things, um, and a lot of this is in, like, reels or, like, in videos, is um, these videos going around, like, people that are fake soldiers. I don't know if you've seen this. So you'll see people dressed in, like, camel gear, You'll see people dressed in uniforms, and then they'll go to like malls or um, like places of high population, and they're trying to benefit of what soldiers, the the attention soldiers receive. So they're trying to get free drinks, they're trying to get discounts. Uh, They want people to run up to them. I mean, like, like chicks dig a guy in a uniform, right? Uh, So, like, but you see this all the time, and when it gets really good. Is when this person dressed in a fake military uniform walking around thinking that he's all that in a bag of chips gets confronted with a real one. And usually the real one is in jeans and a t-shirt, just hanging out. And then they pull out the phone because they want to expose them. And you know how they get exposed? The person who's really like in the military, who's really like deployed, who's really done this. They start asking questions. So, yeah, you get the attention, you get the freebies, but when you run across a real one, it gets interesting. And something that you always see are these questions. You'll be like, hey, man, like, when did you serve? What branch did you serve at? And the guy kind of has something already memorized just in case he gets exposed. Like, yeah, I was in, like, the Marine Corps. And But then he starts getting into details. People are like, oh, interesting. Uh, when did you deploy? When did you go overseas? Uh, I was in Iraq in 2003. And so they just have this thing made up in their mind, but the one who really did it just keeps going deeper. And he's like, oh, really? Like, what outfit were, were you a part of? And, man, like, who was in your platoon? What was the general's name? Like, what was y'all's mission while you were down there? And he's just trying to make stuff up, kind of like that guy sitting in that room without the garments on and then finally when it gets a little ridiculous and he has nothing else to say that real soldier starts pointing out what's wrong he's like look those stripes on your shoulder they actually go on the left hand side and your boots don't even match the gear and that's actually if you said you're marines that's actually an air force patch and, and he just starts like just deconstructing the lie Because what you need to understand is like when you go through something like boot camp, when you go through something, what what tells that you completed it and that, that you like finished it is the uniform they give you at the end. That's what you train for. You want to wear that proudly. You earn that. You earn those badges. You earn the pins. That is what makes you proud. And when you spot a fake one, you're like, hold on a second. I need to help this guy realize that what he's doing is wrong and that he's lying. He's about to get jumped. So I'm going to help him. So you start exposing. You start kind of pointing out what's wrong with their outfit. You start saying, no, like your uniform is not real. Like it doesn't belong to you. I don't know where you got it from. You're piecing it together. But you're out here in society being something that you're pretending that you're not. Just to try to get the benefits of it. And I just want to tell you, it goes the same thing with followers of Christ. Jesus talks a lot about those who are, dre- are wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. And if you are, are, if you are a real one, and you spot somebody that is, is not dressed correctly, you start asking questions. So if I'm clothed in righteousness, if I gave my life to Jesus, He clothed me in His righteousness and His forgiveness, and I see somebody, I might start talking, like, hey, man, like, when did you, you're a Christian, that's great, oh, man, tell me your story, like, when did you give your life to the Lord? Man, I started going to church five years ago, and it really changed my family's life, and, like, my husband doesn't cuss no more, and I'm, like, doing really better. Okay, there's a red flag that just went off. Oh, interesting, like, man, tell me, like, I see that you have a badge that says baptize, like, when did you get baptized? Well, like, I was baptized as a kid, so it really doesn't matter anymore. And I just want to keep the peace with my family. So, like, another red flag. Like, brother, you, you're, you're dressed in fake righteousness right now. Man, tell me, like, man, what, what, tell me more about your testimony. Oh, man, like, we do all these things. We feed the kids. Man, we, we go feed homeless. We do all A, B, C, and D, and E. And I do all these things. And you're like, great, like, are you, gro- like, tell me So as you keep asking questions, you start noticing like this person is dressed in a self-righteousness that is not pleasing to God. Because if he was a real one, his questions would, the answer to the questions would be different. It would be like, yeah, I surrendered my life to Jesus three or four years ago. Man, he forgave me of my sin. I got baptized regardless of what my family said. Like, I love Christ. Hey, man, where you guys serving right now in church? What was that right now? Like, my kids' basketball games are on Sunday. So, like, that takes priority. Another red flag. Because if you are a follower of Christ, he becomes priority. You don't reject him by going back to your field or your business. Because priority number one is Jesus. That's how you spot the real ones right there. You ask those questions. You understand the parable. Now, we don't do this to expose people. We do this because we love people. And we want to expose them to the truth. And we want them to find forgiveness. And we want them to find salvation. And we want them to find completeness. And that's only given through the gospel. And if you don't have it, then you're going to be walking around with a robe of self-righteousness, thinking that you're something that you're not. And there's no such thing in the kingdom called fake it till you make it. You fake it, you ain't gonna make it. So what we need to do, like Christ, is we need to to point people to the only one who could clothe somebody in righteousness and forgiveness, and that's Jesus Christ. Everything else is self-righteousness, and it's gonna fall short. So if that's you today, if if you're walking around not knowing, I I just want to invite you, like, man, let's talk afterward. Give your life to Christ. Make sure. Because you know what's interesting is when you stand before a holy and righteous God in heaven, he's not going to ask you questions. He's not going to try to expose you. You know what he's going to say? I have no idea who you are. You're like, no, but I'm dressed right. Like, I got the patches. I did all this stuff. I ran a church. He's like, I don't know you. There's going to be no questions. There's going to be no time to be trying to explain yourself. No, it's like, I have no idea who you are. Next. That's a scary thought. So make sure that you are clothed in righteousness, and that's only something that Jesus can give you. Let's pray together. Father, I love you, and we thank you so much because you came for everyone. To save all. But Lord, when those of us refuse your calling, then you are justified in your judgment. So, Jesus, I ask, Father, that as we continue to live our lives, as we continue walking in this time of hopefulness and, and the spirit of Christmas and in the holidays, Father, I pray that we're able to to talk to our loved ones about the great news of the gospel, that it is for every single person that wants it. So, Lord, I pray that you soften hearts. I pray that you open our hearts and minds to the greatness of who you are, Father, and that you help those who are walking around with this clothes of self-righteousness, that you help them understand that that means absolutely nothing to you, just a bunch of filthy rags, that you're after something that's so much deeper, and that's our hearts. So, Lord, help us to be faithful, help us to live for you, and help us to keep you as priority number one in our lives, Father. In your name, we pray all these things. Amen.